table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among them, among those who were chose, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God, had resol- now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Verse 14, so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now that was a lot in terms of the story of Daniel, and this is a long time occurring, at least 10 days and probably a lot longer. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory of what's actually happening here. Because we see that Daniel has some choices to make. He has some decisions that he's got to decide upon what to do in his life. How he's going to respond to what is happening. Because Israel, Jerusalem, was captured. And Daniel, what we see in this, in this context, somebody take a wild guess how old you think Daniel was in Daniel chapter 1. Anybody? Yell it out. 54. Not 54. He was a young man. Not 14. 18 years old. It's three years older than he was. Ha! They say that Daniel was about 15 years old in this. 15 years old. How many of you are 18 in this room? That's awesome. Okay, we're a little bit of an older crowd tonight. Good. Um, Here's the point. None of you are as young as Daniel was right here. Daniel was younger than every single one of you in this room. Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, all of them were younger than you. And yet they were faced with this incredible decision to make. Because for three years, they were going to be essentially brainwashed by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar said, I want the cream of the crop and we're going to make them a part of us. We're going to make them be like us. The culture and the world that they're going to experience is going to be like us. Yes, maybe they lived a certain way before, but now they're going to follow us. And for three years, they would be brainwashed with Babylonian literature, with Babylonian culture, with Babylonian music and art and a set of morals and their gods and and all the systems and everything culturally that they had to experience. And here's what we know about the Babylonian culture. It was one of the most decadent and possibly culturally elite cultures that we've ever seen in the history of the world. From Babylon and the Babylonian culture, it was one of the most decadent and immoral cultures that we might have ever seen. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are on one side where they've learned how to live, how to follow God, how to be a man, a chosen person of God. And now the world is coming against them saying, nope, you're not going to live that way. Now you're going to live this way. And they had some decisions to make. Because here's what we also see. 
why are there only four names mentioned? See, the Bible says what we just read is that there were many young men that were chosen, the cream of the crop, from the royal family, from nobility, that when Babylon took over Jerusalem, when they besieged it, they had at their disposal everything. And yet, for some reason, only four of them are actually mentioned. There's only four names we talk about. There are only four guys here. So what sets them apart? What is it that sets them apart to be mentioned? What is it that, that allows them to say, hey, listen, we're not going to eat that food? Because, yeah, they were chosen, they had three years ahead, and then the chief official said, okay, here's your food and wine. Here's your awesome three-course meal that you've never had before. You're welcome. And the only people it mentions that don't eat it are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Everyone else is doing it. Then why aren't they? Because they know that it's wrong. They know that it's wrong. Because see, the food, the king's choice food that was given to them would have also been food that was sacrificed or dedicated or blessed towards the Babylonian gods. It would have been set apart for them. It would have been made part of that. And so as a result, they would essentially be worshiping the Babylonian gods by eating this food. And you're like, but it's just food. Like, you got to eat. Why does it matter? It's, just, it's something that's so small. It's so little. It's just food. But these guys knew that it was wrong. See, the truth that we get to see from this lies right here. Following along is the first thing. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is doing it. And right is right, even if nobody is doing it. There's a standard of truth. There's a standard of how we live. That it doesn't matter if Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are all right here. And all their friends, all their family, everybody else, all the Babylonians, their entire culture, everyone's over there and they're going that way. And Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stand here and they say, y'all can go that way, but I know that's wrong. So even if everybody goes that way, wrong is wrong. And I'm not going to do wrong. I'm going to choose right. Even if no one else goes with me, right doesn't change because of the cultural circumstances of what's going on. Now, the interesting part of this story is that when I just described Babylon, it was decadent. It was full of sexual immorality. It was everywhere. People lived in just absolute luxury. Everything they craved, everything they wanted, they had all these false gods. They had all these false pretenses. They had every single thing that they felt like they needed. And they lived this decadence, this life, this culture was everywhere. And they began to brainwash these people who knew what right was. If you ask me, that sounds pretty similar to today. See, Daniel and his friends had resolve to say, wrong is wrong. Even if everybody else is doing it, it's still wrong. And right is right, even if no one is doing it. There's a standard of truth that we have to live, and that's what Daniel shows us how to do. Because the culture is going to come against you, it's going to try to show you how not to do this, but look at what he does. Verse 8, it's right there. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. But Daniel what? He Let's try that again. I know you're on spring break. It's okay. We can follow along. Daniel resolved. There. He had resolve. 
Because he knew that what's wrong is wrong. Even if everyone else is doing it, what's right is right, even if no one is doing it. What they did, what they didn't do is everyone else was going that way, and they were like, we need to go this way. They didn't allow external circumstances to determine their internal response. If you want to live with resolve, then it's saying, I'm not going to let external circumstances, the things happening around me, whatever Twitter and Instagram and MTV and our culture and our world and the Grammys and movies and TV and sex and and all of it, I'm not going to allow external circumstances, external things to determine how I should respond internally. Because they knew that what's wrong is wrong, even if everybody's doing it. And what's right is right, even if nobody's doing it. As I'm saying this, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just, I know this to be true. I see it in you. As I'm saying this, you're thinking about things that you know. Where you're compromising your resolve. And you've maybe allowed yourself to say, you know what, I know this is right, but everyone's going that way. So maybe it's, maybe it's not wrong. Hmm. And then you start to lie to yourself and you start to think, you know what? It's not wrong. It's okay. And I'm being tolerant. Well, here's the deal. Tolerance still has to hold to the standard of truth. What's wrong is wrong, even if everybody's doing it. And what's right is right, even if no one else is doing it. The compromising of your resolve is where you get lost in this. And I would imagine that all of you know exactly what I'm talking about. In some fashion, in some regard, there's something in your life where you would say, I know what he's talking about. That dude knows what he's talking about. Like once out of every month, this is one of those moments. And see, it's even in the small things. For them, that's easy. It's, hey, you can either defile your God and your body and yourself and your history and your culture and everything you know to be right, and you can eat this food. It's a lot of times, it's never going to be that obvious, but it's in the little decisions of your faith, the little decisions every single day where you get to choose resolve or you choose to compromise. Christine Kane, an incredible speaker, she's wonderful. This Australian lady, she says, um, it may not matter to anyone else may not matter to anyone else. But it's in the smallest decisions for resolve that determine whether you can transform the world around you. Let me read that again. It may not matter to anyone else. right? You may be here and the world may be there. It may not matter to anyone else. But in the small decision for resolve, it is in the small decision for resolve that determines whether you can transform the world around you, whether we can transform the world around us. See, it's having resolve in everyday decisions that will give you influence. And it's the influence that is so very, very valuable. It's your influence. It's how you choose to live and what that gives you. So you have a choice to make in the world that you live in. It's the same one that Daniel and his friends had. See, Daniel was in a foreign land all of a sudden. He was taken from Jerusalem, from everything he knew, and now he was in a foreign land where, where sex was elevated, where immorality was elevated where doing whatever you want was elevated, where this other set of morals was elevated, where these other gods were elevated. It sounds a lot similar to where we are today. Now, you may feel like you're not in a foreign land because maybe you grew up around here, you go to college here, you live here. It doesn't feel foreign. But if you follow Jesus, you're in a foreign world. You are not made for this world. You are made for the world after. You are made for heaven. And as long as you're in this world, it's going to have that sense of tension. 
So if it feels like it's hard, I'm sorry, that's called following Jesus. And if it feels like it's difficult, I'm sorry, it's time to grow up. If you want to follow him, you have to hold true to the standard of what's wrong is wrong, even if everyone else is doing it. And what's right is right, even if no one is doing it. It's what Daniel knew, and it's what we have to know as well. And when you do this, you start to gain influence. Now see, Daniel, we, we go on to read later, we're going to read in the next few weeks, that he gained incredible influence through the land. And I would argue that the reason why he was able to gain all that influence through all of his stories, if you know anything in the story of Daniel, it's filled with like movies. It's crazy. And the reason why he got this influence is because he stood fast with resolve. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And see, when you start to resolve for your influence, then you realize you must resolve to be an influence, not to be influenced. You must resolve to be an influence over being influenced. It's the second thing if you want to write it down. You must resolve to be an influence over being influenced. Daniel had the resolve to be an influence rather than being influenced. You must resolve to be an influence over being influenced. And when you do this, it will, it will totally impact and change the world around you in ways that you're not, even, you're not even aware of, you're not even sure of, you're not even intending to do. I know this to be true because it's something I experienced when I was 18. That's why I asked how many of y'all were 18 earlier, and um, like no one is, so that's awesome. But when I was 18, I made a decision to have resolve in my faith. And see, what happens is influence comes with resolve. I didn't even do this intending to be influential. But I knew, I had it within me in my bones, I wanted to know God more. I, I wanted it. I saw it in people above me. I saw it in people older than me, people five to ten years older than me. I said, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to be doing. There's something I'm missing in my faith. There's an, there's an intimacy. There's a relationship. There's more to God, and I want it. And so I made the decision to read the Bible every single day for 365 days, every day for an entire year. And I actually did it. Now, I'm not telling you that because it's this sense of pride. I hate legalism. That's not what this was about. This was about me growing closer to God and having the resolve to follow through with my commitment. And so I did this, and here's what would happen. I would like go over to a friend's house later than everybody else. Like, hey, man, we're going to meet at 8. I'm like, awesome, I'll see you at 8.30. Because I would leave practice and go home so that I could read my Bible. Or we'd all be spending the night and I would wake up early, even though I was up to like 3 a.m., I'd wake up at 7 a.m. so that I could read my Bible before I had to go on with my day. I made the tough decisions to hold fast with my resolve because I wanted to know God more. I just wanted it. And so I did it. And what slowly started to happen is that I would do this everywhere I was. In between my matches, I'd end up just reading my Bible. Or if I was sitting in class, waiting on class to happen, or maybe in the middle of class, and I would start reading my Bible. And I started to see my friends were noticing what was going on. And these are the friends, these are my roommates in college that would go out and party like no one else. Like you can't, you can't hang with these guys, okay? These are the guys that would do whatever it took to get with the hottest girl they saw. These are the guys that felt like they had influence in the circles that they were in, in the athletic department and other places. And they would see me doing this and like, man, there's something different about you. You are, hey, you're a little crazy. You're waking up at 7 a.m. But like, I see a difference in you. You actually mean this. You're actually going after this. Yeah, I want to know God. 
And so slowly these guys that are living this way see me living over here, even though everyone else is doing it, I'm over here. And then slowly they start to come over here. And I start to gain influence. Now I never left being their friends, but rather than being influenced by them, I started to influence them because of my resolve. See, you must resolve to be an influence over being influenced. Another example, my father. My dad, my dad's a little older for people my age. He's almost 65, 64 years old. And my dad, when he was 20 years old, let's play this game. How many of you are 20 in the room? Yes. A lot of you. That's good. Okay. When my dad was 20 years old, he got married. And all of you went, oh, he's crazy. I know. I know. He got married at 20 years old to my mom. He married almost 45 years, going strong. They're incredible. They're an anomaly. They're awesome. When my dad, I don't, why? That's right, Deanna. Yes. He, yeah, yes, yes, that's right. I'll say it too. When my dad was 20 years old, he was drafted in the army. My mom and my dad were married. My dad was drafted and my dad made a decision that he was going to read through the entire Bible in a year. So I read every day for a year. My dad read the whole Bible in a year, okay? Again, no legalism. It doesn't matter about that. It's not that this is better. We're not weighing scales. All I'm saying is he made the resolve of I want to do this. I want to get to know God more. I want to grow my faith. So I'm going to read his word, the entirety of it, in a year. And what happened is my mom, I asked my mom about this. When I was young, growing up, I'd heard that my dad read the whole Bible when he was 20. I didn't really know much about it. Then I got into my college years, and I asked my mom about that. And she said, as he was reading through this, she watched him change. She saw physical changes in him, that the anger that he had under the surface, that maybe he didn't show a lot, but the anger that he had started to go away, that the bitterness that was there from the way that his parents raised him and other things started to dissipate. And all of a sudden, he became overwhelmed with kindness. And that kindness started to, to grow inside of his marriage and started to grow inside of him. Here's what I've seen to be true. 45 years later, that, is, that has made an influence on me. If my dad didn't have the resolve to get in God's word and read that and grow his faith, I may not be here leading this ministry today because I grew up in a home centered around the Bible. Because my dad made an impression upon me from a very young age that this, this is the most important, most valuable thing you could ever own. If your house burns down and everything's gone, as long as you got this, you're going to be okay. That's the level of faith he poured into me. So now standing here at 29 years old, I can lead this ministry. Because see, my dad made a decision. Rather than being influenced by everyone in the army and how all of that happened in the life of the military and Vietnam and all that was, he said, I'm going to be an influence. He had resolved to say, what's right is right, even if no one is doing it. And what's wrong is wrong, even if everyone else is doing it. It's a matter of resolve. I watched it play out in my dad's life. I watched it play out in my life. And at 18 to 25 years old, this college-age season of life, it matters that you choose resolve. It matters that you say, I want to live a life of resolve. I want to hold true to the standards of what God has said is right and wrong. And I know what they are. My moral compass tells me what they are. I don't need someone to tell me what's right and wrong. I know what it is. And rather than compromise and go where the entire world may go, I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to resolve to live this way, to grow my faith, to do the right thing. Now, you may hear this and think, oh, well, then I don't need to be a part of that. Like, I'm good, 
and they're bad, right? Like that, that's not in any way the issue. And you don't need to isolate yourself either. How many friends do you have that don't know Jesus? I have a lot and I love it. One of my closest friends, I got to officiate his wedding last October. He doesn't know Jesus. He's told me that before he knew me, the amount of times he'd been to church was less than he can count on one hand. And then later on in life, he said, you're like the closest thing to Jesus I've ever heard of. I don't really know a lot. Like, awesome. Not because of the beard. <laughs> because of how I lived. And I was friends with this guy from the time we were 12. We played basketball together when we were 12, and I hated him. He was the worst. Oh, I hated him because he was good. I hated him. <laughs> hated him. And then we got on the same team, and I'm like, I actually like this. Like, he's kind of cool because I don't have to play against him now. He's awesome. And we became really close friends from sixth grade on. And I started praying for him in eighth grade. And he doesn't know Jesus still, and we're almost, he's, he'll turn 29 in two and a half months. He's one of the closest friends in my life. I pray for him all the time. I got to officiate his wedding. I got to sit there and look at his now wife and tell her that I've been praying for both of them for dec over a decade. That I would rather him know Jesus telling this to them. I would rather them know Jesus than me be friends with them. If it meant them having Jesus, if that meant that I could never see him again, I would give that up 100 times out of 100. I get to pour my heart out to him. And what happened is, over time, I never forced the Bible down their throat, and they never forced alcohol down mine. But I was always there. I chose to be at the parties, to be a part of the life of the social thing where my friends were. I wanted to be among them. And then whenever it got to the point that they wouldn't remember or notice that I left, I'd leave. It would get to that point every single time. And I was just like, all right, peace. And me and my boys would go. See, I didn't isolate myself from them. I went where they were. But rather than being influenced by them, I became an influence to them. And so now, Jimmy and his wife Erin are attending a church down the road that's two miles from them. And Jesus has them teed up. I can't even explain what's going to happen in their life. I fully believe it. I've been praying for it. It's going to happen 17 years after I first met him, 15 years after I started praying for him. It may take time. You may not realize it. It may not be intentional. But if you choose resolve to live for what's right because you know it's right, you will gain influence. And you can choose to be an influence over being influenced. Stories will happen like this in your life that you never knew were possible, that you were never looking for, where God's going to show up and say, because of this resolve, watch what I'm going to do. So don't isolate yourself from the world. Be in the world. But don't let it influence you. Be an influence on it. Jesus is praying in John chapter 17, and as he's praying to God, right near the end of his life, he actually says this about everyone. John 17, verse 13, I'm going to read it to you. Jesus is praying to God, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have my joy fulfilled within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not, this is, this is huge, Jesus is praying to God, he's telling the Father, listen, listen, about everyone that I'm doing this for, 
God, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Don't take them out of the world. They got work to do, and they're my church. And I don't, it's fine that I'm leaving because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and they're going to have the power to go do it because I'm going to give them the ability to have resolve. And after their resolve comes, they'll have influence. And then the kingdom is going to change, and lives are going to change, and your friends are going to change, and your family is going to change if you would simply have the resolve to say, everybody may be going that way, but that doesn't make it right. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody's doing it. But right is right, even if nobody's doing it. And when you do this, you can have the resolve to be an influence, to see lives change, to see stories happen like Jim and Aaron, two of my closest friends in the world. Or you can see things happen 45 years from now. You're like, I don't even, I can't even comprehend that. 45, that like my dad did with me. I'm standing here today because of a decision for resolve that my dad made. My dad chose to get closer to God, and as he chose to get closer to God, it affected the way he parented, it affected his family, it affected his son that would one day grow up and be leading this ministry and talking to you right now. So in every element of your life, you have to choose resolve. And now resolve is a firm commitment. It says, no matter what happens, I'm not budging. Because right is right, even if no one else is doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everybody else is doing it. So, we see that Daniel did this. We see that his buddies did this. I've given you examples of it, and you can do it too. But I'm curious, where are you budging? If resolve is a firm commitment, it says, I'm not budging no matter what happens. Then where are you budging? And where do you need to stand firm? The other side of it, where are you being influenced? But maybe tonight Jesus is telling you, it's time to stop being influenced and it's time to start being an influence. Every one of us can think of some small way where we've decided to compromise in our resolve. And Jesus tonight is saying, don't do that. I have so much more in store for you if you would simply hold fast to the standard of truth. What's right is right, even if no one else is doing it. And what's wrong is wrong, even if everybody else is doing it. Let me pray for y'all. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that it, that it cuts through all the weeds, all the tangle, all the, all the mess, all the lies, all the world, that, it, that it, it speaks right into our hearts. And so, Father, my ask is that you would follow up your truth with your Holy Spirit. God, I ask that there would even tonight be a sense of conviction. I don't care. Break hearts in this room. Do whatever it takes to bring us closer to you. Father, it is not easy to choose resolve. The world says, just compromise on everything. Go with what you want. Fulfill your desires. Make it all about you. But God, that's not what you desire for us. So Father, would you give us the strength to have resolve in our lives? And Father, I pray that as your word speaks into our hearts, like that knife that cuts through, Father, I pray that you would speak directly into someone in this room tonight that has chosen to follow the crowd, even though it's wrong. God, I pray that you would return hearts to you tonight. That as you build resolve into this crowd, into this ministry, into these people, that you would bring them back home, that we would all 
not hang our heads because we messed up, but we would lift our heads because you're standing there. God, I thank you for your grace that, that we don't have to get clean before we come to you. We come to you and you make us clean. So God, I ask that you would do that in these people's hearts, in these decisions, in our life, and our circumstances. May the external not determine how we decide to respond internally. Would we hold fast to your truth? And God, I pray that through this, it wouldn't simply be our decision-making. It wouldn't simply be our doing good. But God, that it would be that we want to get closer to you. We want to know you more. We want to fall in love with you. So God, I pray that if there's anything in our life that doesn't glorify you and gratify you, would you tell us what it is tonight? And would you then give us the courage to follow that up and say, I'm going to give that over to you, God, because from today on, I resolve that I'm going to be an influence instead of being influenced. I'm done with my past. I'm done with the dirt. I'm done with the sin. I want you. Father, would that be the cry of every heart in this room? So allow us to fall more in love with you. Allure us, Father, closer to you. Stir our affections that every person in this room would say, I adore you. And will we respond out of that, Father, with our worship, with our song, with our praise, with our hearts, and with our lives, Lord. I give you everything I got. I thank you we get to do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.